This is Quotations, a podcast about words, written and spoken throughout history. If you can fill the unforgiving minute with 60 seconds worth of distance run, we shall fight in the hills. We shall never surrender. No matter where you're from, your dreams are valid. The Pale Blue Dot, the only home we've ever known. Hello and welcome to Quotations. I'm Matthew Monroe. Here's today's quote. I I like to drink red wine. This girl says, doesn't red wine give you a headache? Yeah, eventually. (laughs) But the first and the middle part are amazing. I'm not going to stop doing something because of what happens at the end. Mitch, do you want an apple? No, eventually it'll be a core. (laughs) And doubtlessly, many of you will recognize that voice. That is the late comedian Mitch Hedberg. Mitch Hedberg was born on February 24, 1968, in St. Paul, Minnesota. He died March 30, 2005, in Livingston, New Jersey. And I hope that all of you know and enjoy Mitch Hedberg. He truly was an enjoyable comic, and his one-line, deadpan, often absurd jokes make him, to this day, one of my go-tos for a quick pick-me-up. And I know I've done quotes from comedians before, Joe Rogan in particular, but also William Daniels, Samuel L. Jackson, and even Tim Urban. The last three are technically not comedians, I guess, but they've delivered some funny lines that I've certainly chuckled at, so I've grouped them in that category. But this, I think, is the first time that I've actually done an episode about a quote from an actual comedy routine. But we'll get to that here in just a moment. First, a little bit about Mitch's background. Mitch's background began, as I mentioned, in St. Paul, where he grew up, and he began his comedy career around... 1996, eventually blossoming into multiple TV appearances, tours, albums, and even his own movie and TV sitcom deals. And his delivery as a comedian was and is still very unique, with very few comics able to replicate his timing and delivery, which makes them both interesting and Because they're based around everyday life, his observations of life, it makes them highly relatable and also highly memorable. Because his jokes revolve around everyday life, which we all live, there are often times where I find myself throughout the day thinking of things that Mitch said or had a joke about that I'm experiencing for myself. For example, his joke about escalators. I like an escalator, man, because an escalator can never break. It can only become stairs. There would never be an escalator temporarily out of order sign. Only an escalator temporarily stairs. <laughs> Sorry for the convenience. And I heard that joke probably decades ago. And still to this day, when I see an escalator that's out of service, that is the, f- the first thing that I think. And I still chuckle about it. And that's pretty cool for a joke that's maybe 20 seconds long. And that in and of itself is a pretty interesting phenomenon. I mentioned this in one of the very, very early episodes of the show, but we all know that person or those people who can't seem to remember a grocery list, but at the merest allusion to anything remotely related to a show or movie or comedy bit, they can rattle off a line from it without a second thought. For my poor wife, that person is me. And while I'm not 100% certain on why some of us are wired quite that way, I suspect it has something to do with us being social creatures. Well, what do I mean? We, as people, want to be liked. 
We associate laughter with friendliness, with camaraderie, and with belonging. And many people, like Mitch and other comedians, are funnier than we are. Therefore, we co-opt their humorous lines and deliver them at mostly, mostly, appropriate, most of the time moments to develop and maintain our social circle. So we take the jokes of people like Steve Carell or Mitch Hedberg or any uh, name any other comedian that comes to mind, and we hold on to those things. And then at just the right moment, hopefully, we're able to deliver that line to get a chuckle out of people. We co-opt that humor for our own, and it deepens our social circle. We get a chuckle, we get a laugh, we get a a hand slap on a knee or on a table, and it makes the people that we're around like us just a little bit more. And it feels good for us as people. And now, am I clinically overthinking this? Yeah, probably. But hey, I make an entire podcast about the words of others, so I'm probably uniquely qualified to speak about this particular topic. Regardless, it's interesting that we do this. And what that says to me is that perhaps there is an opportunity to have the best of both worlds. If comedians' humorous words can stick in our minds both because they are funny and we therefore want to remember them for future use and because there's a lesson to be learned from them, well, great. That would make something worth a podcast episode, wouldn't it? So here we are. So let me play the clip for you one more time. And if it didn't jump out to you before, listen closely. There's a lesson hidden in this joke, and there's also one that you may not easily notice. I like, I like to drink red wine. This girl says, doesn't red wine give you a headache? Yeah, eventually. But the first and the middle part are amazing. I'm not going to stop doing something because of what happens at the end. Mitch, do you want an apple? No, eventually it'll be a core. Now, if you're still laughing, take a minute, compose yourself. Good? Good. As the old saying goes, life comes at you fast. And we've discussed at length the importance of the decisions we make or fail to make on a daily, continuous basis. If you're here with me listening to this, you believe that words have something to offer you, and I wholeheartedly agree with you. While what we do or don't do is important, why we do or don't do it is arguably even more important. We know that fear is a significant motivator of human behavior. We avoid certain activities because we're afraid of the consequences. Be that public speaking or skydiving or eating a certain type of food. Fear motivates us. It motivates us to buy insurance for our homes, our cars, ourselves, even our pets. Why? Because we don't want to be found in a situation where we need something financially and can't afford it. And some of these are good fears, I would argue. In its best form, fear is a buffer from the world. Imagine wearing a bubble, sort of like those bubble soccer bubbles that you see people wearing um, in, in some of the videos that you may watch, where people are running into each other at high speeds and sending each other flying. They're in a bubble. They're safe. That bubble, like well-employed fear, I would argue, keeps things at bay, keeps them at arm's distance, protecting us from what might otherwise do us legitimate, substantial harm. Fear of being burned is what keeps us from touching hot stoves and keeps people around the world from touching hot stoves. And it keeps people looking both ways before they cross the street, right? Because we're afraid to be burned or we're afraid to be struck by a vehicle that we didn't, didn't anticipate. That is good fear, right? Controlled fear, beneficial fear. In its worst form, though, fear 
is a paralytic. Think of the many diagnoses in modern medicine for fear-related ailments or phobias. Right, You have aerophobia, fear of flying. Flying is actually the safest form of travel on the planet. But aerophobia keeps people from traveling long distances, in short times, and missing out on many of the wonders of the world. If you're so afraid to fly that you won't get on a plane and fly to Asia or Europe or Africa or South America, you may never visit those places. You may miss out on that entirely because of this phobia. Similarly, ocho or ocophobia is a fear of riding in vehicles. Think of the harm that this phobia it does to the people it affects. And then, of course, we've all heard of agoraphobia, which is a fear of open or public places. And it causes, in its most extreme sufferers, fear of even leaving their own home. And please, please don't misunderstand what I'm saying here. None of this is meant to make light of any of these conditions or say, why don't you just get over it or any other phobia that people experience. It's meant merely to illustrate that fear in the extreme is debilitating. And the beauty, therefore, of Hedberg's joke is that while it is funny and it makes us chuckle, presumably because he equates an irrational fear of apple cores with the reason not to eat apples, but also because it highlights to us the fear of things that can't do nearly as much harm as we think, having a potentially outsized effect on our decision-making. Consider this, and again, this is not to make light of anything that scares many people, but public speaking. Let's consider just what the worst public speaking experience might bring us. So I did a quick Google search just to see what some of the worst experiences that people have had in public speaking might be. And the search revealed a few, right? People that were called out on incorrect definitions of words. Pretty embarrassing. Had fire alarms go off during speeches. Uh, attempted a speech in a language that none of the audience actually spoke. Speeches that started late. People who have angered their audience to the point of heckling, right? All of these things we can imagine. Every single one of us probably in every single one of those scenarios could relate to, oh yeah, I could imagine being afraid of that. I could imagine if I started late and people were upset... I could imagine making people so angry that they booed me off stage. That would be unfortunate, right? All of it is bad. Agreed. But how bad? Really? Really how bad? Think about it for a moment. Sure, it's going to be embarrassing. Humbling. Yep, probably that. But so bad as to be avoided at all costs? Including but not limited to actively and loudly resisting speaking to any group of people at all? Which, to be fair, I've actually seen on more than one occasion. In a small group setting, somebody so scared of public speaking that they can't speak in front of even a small group of, of relative peers. And again, not to make light of any of this, just to point out, that's difficult, right? And the resistance to public speaking can sometimes be as embarrassing or mo more so than the actual speaking itself. And speech flops are far, far less common than speech successes. Otherwise, no one would do them, right? More public speakers are successful than those that are not. And all of that to say that it's worth examining if we are avoiding something because the fear is legitimate and part of our safety bubble from things that can do us actual harm, or if we've allowed a highly unlikely outcome to prevent us from doing something entirely giving an outsized influence to an overestimated harm. So that's the lesson from Mitch Hedberg that I take. Don't be afraid of wine for the hangover, or an apple for the core, 
what that says more broadly to me in the non-comedic sense is that we ought to interrogate our fears. We ought to ask ourselves what happens. And then what happens after that? And then what happens after that? Until the point where you either die or are grievously injured, in which case it might be a legitimate fear worth heeding. Or whether it's so unlikely that it ought not to be given any more power over you because it's just not a realistic thing to be concerned about. It's such a small likelihood that it's not worth worrying over. So being afraid is okay. Being paralyzed by fear, on the other hand, we should do everything we can to avoid. The hidden message here lies in the fact that Mitch Hedberg himself might not have been good at heeding his own advice. You see, Mitch Hedberg, for those of you that don't know, sadly died of a drug overdose. Well, certainly, Mitch knew the risks. He joked about using drugs in his comedy routines. And we can also learn from this, not just his words, but what happened in his life. Sometimes, even when we know the risks and have done the risk calculus, we can choose poorly. The consequences can be dire. So, as we depart today, think about those things. Consider the world around you. Consider the things that make you afraid. Consider the things that motivate you to change your behaviors. And why? Where do they originate? What makes them worth your time and consideration? And possibly, maybe even one small one may be worth reconsidering and altering. In short, listener, be careful out there. Until next time, I'm Matthew Monroe. This is Quotations. Thank you for listening. If you've enjoyed this episode and would like to hear more, please subscribe in your favorite podcast app or visit me at quotationspod.com to download and listen. Please also take a moment to recommend the podcast to a friend. That's a huge help. You can tweet at me at quotationspod. Send me an email to quotationspod at gmail.com. Find me on Instagram at quotationspod or join the conversation on Facebook at quotationspod. I look forward to hearing from you, welcome your feedback, and thanks as always for listening.